Let us pray. Our precious Father, we are so, so grateful for this year, for making it possible for us all to come together to celebrate another year of family month. What a privilege. What a pleasure. Father, we commit everything into your hands, Lord, that your spirit will lead us throughout this month. That as many as we come out, Father, either in teaching or in preaching, Father, throughout this month concerning the families, mighty God, we prayed that on the final day, Lord, that no family will live the same, that every family will be blessed, that problems will be solved, that marriages that have problems will be resolved. Thank you, mighty God, because we know that you do a good thing and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. So today my topic is building God's kind of marriage in our homes. When I say building God's kind of marriage, you know there's another kind of marriage that is not God's kind. So we're going to look into God, God's kind of marriage. And like we said, our theme for this year is being motivated by God's love. Being motivated by God's love. And that's from 1 Corinthians 16, 14. If you can put it on the board, please. 1 Corinthians um, 16, 14, amplify. It says, let everything you do be done in love. Everything, including your marriage, including your relationship with your children, including your relationship with your co-workers. It says, everything, let it be done in love. Being motivated and inspired by God's love for us is very important. Being motivated and inspired by God's love for us. Ephesians 5, 1 says, NLT says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. This is more like, uh, you know, our theme. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Why? Because... You are his dear children. Just like we parents would like our children to imitate us, to follow our footsteps. So God wants us to imitate him as uh, his children. In other words, we should love like he loves. Whatever he does, that's what we should do. In other words, we are to imitate Christ and model our lives after him. The word imitate means to emulate, to emulate or copy the pattern of life set by Christ. When we look at 1 John 5.19, I didn't give you the scripture. It says, then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. You know, was Christ was imitating his father. And if Christ can do that, we also can do that. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
So imitating Christ is very important in our lives as Christians. But you see that rather than imitating Christ, we are imitating the world. We seem to do what the worlds are doing. And this is why I want to I choose this topic. So there's no better time to talk about marriage than now. Because when you look at what is happening now, our marriage is under attack. There are so many things that are happening. I begin to wonder, you know, what kind of thing is this? Praise the Lord. So traditionally, you see, our children are confused, and we owe it to them to educate them about this great institution God has created for us to enjoy. You, see, you hear some people, some even children saying that I'm not going to get married because what I'm seeing is not what I like. So they are confused. But we know that traditionally the, the Bible venerates, that's uh, has great respect and regard for marriage. And the, and the Bible talks about marriage as being between a man and a woman. Our children are supposed to know this. They are supposed to know what the Bible says about marriage in the beginning traditionally, that marriage is between a man and a woman. Praise the Lord. So in both the Old and New Testament, the hierarchy in a marriage is to place God first, followed by the husbands, second as the head of the household, and the wife as a helper to the husband. We saw that when Obiama called the Oloma to come and help, help him and read the Bible passage. But the world has redefined marriage. These days we see Man getting married to man and woman getting married to woman. Many churches don't see homosexuality as sin. But I think we should go by what the Bible says. Praise the Lord. The other day I saw two men holding little babies. And I began to wonder the type of life those kids will live when they grow up. And this is why we should pay attention to what Proverbs 26, 22, 6 says. NLT version says, direct your children onto the right path. Direct them. When you're directing somebody, you have to pay attention. Because if you don't pay attention in that direction, in directing him, you know, you mislead that person. So he says, direct your children onto the right path. And then I say, which is the right path? And when they are old... They will not leave it. Parents have the responsibility. We as parents, we have responsibility, you know, of directing our children to the right path to take. You know, back home in, in Igbo, Igbo land, I don't know about uh, other, other tribes, you know, yam is the most difficult uh, crop to cultivate. Because once you cultivate it, you will spend most of your time making sure that the yam grows according to where it's supposed to grow. When, when we germinate, you bring a little stick and stick it by, by itself and direct, what is it called? Direct the, the stem. So you direct it. And then as it grows, it follows that stick. And then when it gets to a certain time, you remove the little one and put a longer one. And you direct it again, redirect it again, and it grows you know, to, to, until it gets to what? Maturity. Praise the Lord. So it is 
with children. We're supposed to train them, train them in a such a way from the beginning as they, as, 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 as they grow. We have to pay a very careful attention the life they live, their friends, you know, what they do in school, when they come back, these are our responsibilities. This is the way you guide them. This is the way you direct them. You make sure that they are following the right path. Praise the Lord. Because if you fail to train them, what happens? The teachers of friends in the school will teach them. They will teach them. I remember when I was a substitute teacher, I, in a class, I was teaching elementary school. I was in elementary school. And this case, I was on the, on the, on the teacher's uh, desk. And then they were watching, because they gave them TV, you know, in that class. No, not TV, computer. There was computer, you know, in that class. And I saw a whole bunch of them. They sat together, and they were laughing and clapping and jumping. So I stood up, and I went there. I said, what are you guys doing? When I looked there, they were watching porno, as little as they were. And then I told them to stop. You know, those, they were very stubborn. They, they refused to stop. So I went out to the next classroom and called the teachers there. So when they came, they looked and said, oh, is that what they're watching? That's okay for them. Let them watch it. And these kids, they, they gave them the privilege to watch porno. You can imagine if your child is there, you can imagine what he will learn. And when he comes back home, he begins to tell him something, then he will not understand what you're talking about. Because he will think that this is the normal thing to do. Praise the Lord. So let's see what the Bible says about this. I remember when, you know, in my place of work, and this is very important, 10 years, about almost 10 years ago, I had a boss. You know, one time, he was complaining to me that, that she has a friend, every close friend. They were both Christians. And this, this friend of hers is a lesbian. And then she tries several times to talk her out of this. But she, and then her friend continued to tell her that God doesn't say anything against homosexuality. You know, today, to her, it's normal. So when I read a passage in the Bible for, for, for her, she was shocked. And then she went and told her friend that it is in the Bible. So what the Bible says about homosexuality, Leviticus 20. Now, <clears throat> Leviticus 20, 13, it says, if a man has a sexual relations with another man as with a woman, they have committed a terrible sin. So God sees this as a sin. He said they have committed a terrible sin. They must be put to death. They are responsible for their own death. Then come to Romans, that's, that, this is the passage I read to, to her. Romans uh, 1, 26 to 27. It says, because people did those things, God left them and let them do the shameful things they wanted to do. Women stopped having natural sex with men and started having sex with other women. In the same way, men stopped having natural sex with women and began wanting each other, each other all the time. Men did shameful things with other men and in their bodies, they received a punishment of those. Bible says it's a shameful thing. Praise the Lord. First Corinthians 6, 9 says, don't you realize that, that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who, who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery, 
or, or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality. Says, verse 10, says, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. You know, the reason I, I, I bring this up is for us to know, at least read to our children what the Bible or what God says about that. You know, we know that Christ has told us to love everybody, even our enemies. We are, we are supposed to love them. We are not asked to condemn anyone. Praise the Lord. So our responsibility is to point them to the truth and not to condemn them. But if you don't know these things, how are you going to direct them? How are you going to tell them? It's in the Bible like, you know, my boss, you know, didn't, didn't know much as she was a Christian. But she didn't know that all these things are in the Bible. So it's good that we, we arm ourselves so that when we want to help, we can always help. Praise the Lord. God is, God, God is, is the one that established marriage. And because he created marriage, only him can make it work. Nobody else. Not your neighbors, not your friends. Only God can make it work. You know, most of us are car owners. And we know what, what an owner's manual is when you buy a car. And if, if your car is faulty, what do you do? What do you do? You refer to the owner's manual see if you can correct it. Or you take it to a mechanic. Just like that. Jesus is the one that has the manual. God has the manual because he created marriage. And he is the only one that can fix it. So if your marriage has a problem, all you have to do is consult him. And he will help you out. Praise the Lord. I talked about the world. First John 2.15 says, do not love this world. God does not want us to love the world. He says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. Because the world cannot offer you anything reasonable. The world can only offer you things that will destroy you. And he said that do not, says do not, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. So loving the world will make you lose the love of the Father. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. Praise the Lord. So the key to any successful marriage is the presence of God in that union. If I ask you what makes a wedding successful, many of us will begin to talk about the beauty and the, the beauty of the wedding gown or the number of people in attendance or the delicious food that was served, or the music that was played. Many of us are familiar, knew about the royal wedding between Prince Charles and Prince, Princess Diana. That was, wedding was said to be the most famous wedding in royal history. It was watched by over 750 million people around the world, including my wife. Because she, but she stayed awake all night watching it. Her wedding gown was 25 feet trail long, and it cost about $36,700 at that time. That wedding, wedding failed because 
God was not in it. I read that Prince Charles cried throughout the night before, the, before their wedding. Instead of him to be excited that he was going to get married, he was crying the night of the wedding because he was not marrying the woman he loved. His then girlfriend, which is now his present wife. You can imagine where his wife, I mean his heart, was when he was saying the, their, wedding, their, their, their marriage vow. Their marriage lasted for only 11 years. And he couldn't wait to marry his then girlfriend in 2005. See, all people were talking about after the wedding, including my wife, was how beautiful she was. <laughs> her wedding gown. How beautiful the wedding was. Nobody talked about or paid attention to the wedding vow. And this is where I'm going, to the wedding vow, the vow. The most important part of any Christian wedding is the vow. Is the wedding vow. Why? This is when the couple-to-be is joined together with his wife, with his wife-to-be, by God to be one. That's when they become one. This is the beginning of oneness. Without God joining a husband and a wife together, there will never be oneness. And if there's no oneness, there will never be godly children or offspring. So this is why a traditional wedding is not a complete wedding or marriage. There must be God's blessings for every Christian wedding or every Christian marriage to be complete. Praise the Lord. In Genesis 2.24, God says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh. Be joined by who? By God. You can see that in Malachi. He made it very clear to, to you know, in Malachi. Prophet Malachi said, And here is a second offense. He says, You fear the place of worship which you are winning and slain. Stealing, because you don't get what you want from God. He says, do you know why? Simple. Because God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows. So he was there. So when we make our vows, God is there to join you. To your young bride. And now you have broken those vows. Broken the faith bond. Which... You are vowed companion, with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God. That's what. That's what. So guide the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. So marriage is not, it's not, it's not a thing that you should joke with. It is something that God has given to his children to enjoy. And then when you don't play it God's way, that's when you have problems. But when you play it God's way, then you begin to enjoy it. You begin to enjoy every step, every element of marriage. So God makes husband and wives one so that they will have a godly children. And you, 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 when you, you use your human sense, you, begin, you, you, you know that is, that is the right thing to do. 
you as a father, you want to have children that will look like you, that will follow your footsteps. So God said, I want godly offspring. And the only way I can have it is when both of you are one. So if, if no matter, even if you are a Christian and you are married to a Christian, if both of you are not one, I'm going to explain what oneness is. You are not producing godly offspring. So God wants us to produce godly offspring for him. For him, praise the Lord. So he makes us one in two different ways. There is spiritual oneness. This is what makes our marriage a covenant. It's a covenant marriage. If you're a Christian, our marriage is covenant because God is involved in it, and that's what makes it a covenant. We read in Malachi that God is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. In other words, God is actively involved in the covenant of marriage. The second one is there is oneness in the flesh. In Genesis 2, 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to, to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What this means is that there is now a consummation of that which God has done. A consummation of that which God has brought together. So something very important is happening during our, our wedding. Two people are brought together under the covenant relationship with God, the Father, through Jesus Christ. They now stand before their family and friends and God as witness to make their vows to each other. Unfortunately, we don't take our wedding vows seriously. Many couples now write their own vows, expressing all love languages without mentioning their commitment to each other. You speak what the, your, your spouse wants to hear. You praise her and then, you know, she laughs and then she, in return she does the same thing. But the, the commitment in marriage is not in that vow. The commitment of loving him or her when she is sick Till death do us part. It's never there. They always speak what the language that will make her happy. It is good to remember that when God made man in his image, he made a husband and wife yoked together as one flesh. This means that the marriage relationship is a model of God and specifically the Trinity. When a marriage does not function properly, it mirrors, thus it destroys the image of God. So when you have problems you know, in your marriage, you are destroying the image of God. And that's how Satan comes in. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. When they disobeyed God's word, Satan came in and destroyed them. So it mirrors, it destroys the image of God, and it breaks down every aspect of society. For this reason, from, from, the, begin, from the very beginning of creation, the home has been under attack. Satan attacked the home by tempting Adam and Eve in the garden. He attacked the home because it destroys the image of God. But anything that God is concerned, Satan must come there to destroy it. And therefore, our societies become further and further away from God as the family decays and erodes. Once the family is, is, is destroyed, it affects society. The family is the foundation, because the family is the foundation of society. So when the home falls, the church falls, 
it affects the, the church. And when the church falls, the whole nation falls. When you look at what is happening in the world now, that's, this is because the marriage has problem. And the marriage is breaking away from what God intended to be. And we're having commotion, we're having problems in the whole world. So many killings, things are happening, and they begin to wonder, what kind of life is this? Praise the God. Second Corinthians says, but I fear. Paul says in Second Corinthians 11.3, and he says, but I fear that somehow you are pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. So what do we do? James told us what to do. He says, so then surrender to God. That's the, that's, that's, the, that's the only thing. You surrender to God. Stand up to the devil and resist him. And he will flee in agony. Surrender to God. Don't pay attention to worldly things. Think of what God will think in whatever you are doing. Think, think, think of what God will say when you are not doing the right thing in your home. 1 Peter 5, 8-9 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers are all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Praise the Lord. I want to fast forward a little bit because that's, if I don't finish it, I'll continue next Sunday. But I want to talk about the children next Sunday. That's why Because I want to touch, touch on um, submission and the love, which is another important uh, uh, aspect of our marriage that the world is, you know, infringing into. Now, let's look at the, the first wedding. The first wedding in the Bible. That's the wedding in Canaan. We are going to learn a lot from it. It says, John 1, sorry, John 2, 1 to 10. And now it says, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the, in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there too. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. That's, that's, that's one key. Mark, this, mark that says, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. And the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him on that point, they have no more wine. Verse 4, dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stones, water, water jars, used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, 
he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremony. So the servants followed his instruction on the point. They followed his instruction. When the master of ceremony tested the water that was now wine, not knowing where it, it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom, bridegroom over. A host always, always, always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. So what lesson do we learn from this? Uh, you know, this, this, this passage of the Bible is, is, is very common. Both unbelievers, they know it. They tell that, uh, that God wants us to drink, you know, and that's why he turned water into wine. So they all know, they know it. So, but it's a lesson. Now, it says that Jesus was invited. And Jesus was there because what? He was invited. If you don't invite Jesus in your marriage, he will not be there. He will be there alone. And guess who steps in? Satan. So Jesus was invited in that, in that wedding, and he was there. And when he came in, things changed. The situation changed. Praise the Lord. So when you have Jesus in your, in your marriage, your situation will change. Praise the Lord. So any marriage that doesn't recognize the presence of God will find it difficult to survive. In Revelation 3.20 says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. Jesus is always willing to come in, in your homes, in your marriage. But you have to do what? You have to invite him in. Praise the Lord. Number two points. So who do you run to when you have problem in your marriage? Your mother-in-law, your father-in-law? Your friends, your co-workers, who do you run to? We should do what Mary did. She ran to Jesus. She ran to Jesus. And Jesus solved her problem. So whenever you have problem in your marriage, run to him and he will help you out. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden unto the Lord. Says releasing, releasing the weight of it. That's releasing when you cast your body to the Lord. You release the weight of it, and He will sustain you. He will never allow the consistently righteous to be moved, made to sleep, fall, or, or, or fail. Number three point there is: it says the best wine was served last. You know. This is a wedding, or this is their custom, that in every wedding, they drink the best wine first. And then the ugly one, or the soured one, whatever, they will drink last. But they started with the best. And then they ended up with the bestest. <laughs> Praise the Lord, if that's a word like that. You see, you see the master of ceremony was surprised. He said, ah, how come you are serving us the best wine? You should have given us this one first. But they started with the best. They started with good wine and end up with the best wine. So when Jesus is in your marriage, your marriage will be sweet forever. 
praise the Lord. You begin, you continue to enjoy your marriage. You won't think of divorce. You won't think of uh, anything but goody goodies. Praise the Lord. Then the 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 last point here is says, says this is where Jesus revealed his glory. That is his true identity. Christ revealed his identity in a wedding. Before his disciples didn't know him. They didn't know that he was, he was God. That he was capable of doing what he did. Because if you read it, if you read it, let me see, let's see if I can pull it out. Oh, okay, I didn't cover it. Okay, but if you read, if you read it, it tell, you know, they were surprised that uh, you know, he, he was able to do what he did. So he revealed his great power in a wedding. And this will tell you how much God values marriage. God does not joke with marriage, and we shouldn't joke with it. We should all pay very close attention to our marriages. Praise the Lord. I see I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I think I'm going to continue with this. Uh, let's see, because that's, when I treat submission and love, I don't think I'm going to get to that today. So why did God create marriage? He created marriage for three purposes. One is for companionship. For companionship. Then the Lord Genesis 2, 18. And it said, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Do you remember in Genesis when God brought all the animals and asked Adam to give names to them? You know what God was doing? God was preparing Adam for Eve. He was preparing Adam for marriage because Adam named all those animals and they were all in pairs. Man and female, man and female, man and female. He was naming them. But he didn't see anyone that resembles him. He didn't see anyone. So God was, God was preparing him. So when God saw that Adam has reached that age, to that stage of marriage, now he now gave him Eve. What am I saying? Marriage. Is for grown-ups. When I say grown-ups, I don't mean only age-wise. Marriage requires maturity. Those of you that went through our marriage counseling class know what I'm talking about. There are three types of maturity. You have physical maturity, you have emotional maturity, and you have spiritual maturity, which is the most important of all. Spiritual maturity. If you don't have all these things, for those of you that are not married yet, it's very important that all these three things, you know, you have them. God designed marriage so that man and woman could have a close relationship. Do you have close relationship with your wife? with your husband? Do you have close relationship with your family? 
And this relationship is based on love, trust, and communication. If there's no trust in any marriage, it creates problem. If there's no love in any marriage, it creates problem. Like Sister Charity says this morning, when I'm talking about love, I'm talking God's kind of love. And that's what we said here in our team. Motivated. Being motivated by God's kind of love. So there has to be love and there has to be communication. These three things make marriages work properly. Praise the Lord. And God created marriage for what? Number two things, for procreation. So God created human beings, Genesis 1, 27 to 28. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry, scurry along the, the ground. So God designed marriage so that husband and wife could have children and raise them in loving, family, in loving homes. Remember he said, it's not good that man shall be alone. When you saw Adam alone, so he created Adam for companionship and then for procreation. Praise the Lord. God designed marriage so that husband and wife could have children and raise them in loving family. Children are a blessing from God. It is important that they are raised in homes where they can learn the ways of the Lord. And this is why, because I'm going. If uh, if I have time uh, to talk about children tomorrow, I mean next Sunday. This is why God chose Abraham. That's one of the reasons God chose Abraham. He said, "I have made a special agreement with him, with Abraham. I've made a special agreement with Abraham." That's the uh, ERV version. He says, "I did this." As talking about the reason why he chose Abraham, I did this so that he would command his children and his descendants. To live the way the Lord wants them to. I did this so that they would live right and be fair. Then I, the Lord, can give him what I promise. You see, God, God is very particular about our lives. He wants us to live a very decent life. Not only for ourselves, you know, with our children. Because he sees those children as his own children. And he wants us to direct them. To live the right path. We talked about oneness. That, that's one of the reasons God created that who shall be one. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his, his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Praise the Lord. So, God's plan for marriage, there are two important ingredients that must be, must be in a marriage for every marriage to, to stand. And these are submission and love. Submission and love. Ephesians 5.21, which, which we call, most people call uh, mutual submission. It says, and for that, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the key word there is reverence, out of reverence 
for Christ. And reverence means to honor him, express your gratitude to him, and obey his command, commandments. So what the Bible says here is that we should lay aside, whether you're a husband or a wife, or it says to one another, lay aside our rights and humbly serve one another in love. You lay aside your rights. This is my right. When it comes to marriage, this, this, is, this is my right. No. But you serve one another in love. Praise the Lord. So, submission and love should be in paripasu. That is, side by side. And should be done voluntarily. You don't force somebody to, you know, to submit. You cannot force your wife to submit to you. It has to come within. And then you, you, remember, you, you see that before Paul wrote this Ephesians 21, if you read Ephesians 18, he was preparing us for Ephesians 21. Because so many, so many people, even some Christians, you know, talk about Ephesians 21. His submission is so hard. Loving, one, loving your wife as Christ loves the church is so hard that it becomes a problem in homes. The wife will say, well, if you don't, if you don't love me, I'm not going to submit to you. And the husband will say, well, if you don't submit to me, I'm not going to love you. But it goes in paripasu. It goes together. Praise the Lord. So in, in, verse, in verse 18, Paul was preparing. He says, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because he knows it's going to be difficult for us to do. It's not something you can do ordinarily by yourself. The human being cannot. And that's why the, the unbelievers cannot submit. They cannot love. Because it takes the control of the Holy Spirit for you to do that. So this is because Christian submission is not an act of human will. It is a divine work. And this is why it is difficult for unbelievers to understand it. And yet, they will convince most Christians not to submit or love their spouse as commanded by God. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We can only submit to, to God's authorities and his will only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says, 8 9 says that you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living inside you. And we all have the Spirit of God living inside us. So, in this case, every Spirit-filled Christian is a submissive Christian. Every Spirit-filled Christian should be a submissive you know, Christian. According to Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another. Praise the Lord. So back to Ephesians 5.22, it says, uh, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. 
Submit to your husband in everything, except if that thing is contrary to the word of God. Because you can never disobey God. Peter said, I would rather disobey man than disobey God. So what is submission? Submission is the study, but simply put, putting God's desires above your desire. You put God's desire. Now, you, before you do anything, you begin to ask yourself, if I do this, things, how will God feel about it? So you are putting God's desire before your own desire. If you feel that God will love you for doing it, then you go ahead and do it. But if you feel that God will not like it, then you don't do it. That's, that's the best way to control yourself. Praise the Lord. So I want us to look at the power of submission. Submission is so powerful. As a matter of fact, that's, uh, that's one of the reasons I, I became born again. Because my wife was born again before me. And if her attitude then wasn't right, I wouldn't have been born again. I would have been saying, no, this all is here, born again, I think. You know, but, but much as I, was, I wasn't making any income, she was the one making the income. But ne- nobody knew. She would, she would get the paycheck and she gave it, she would give it to me to deposit. And that's why she's enjoying everything now. <laughs> Praise the Lord. First Peter 3 1 says, And now let me speak to the wives. Be devoted to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word of God, your conduct may win them over without you. Saying a thing. For when they observe, they see, when they observe your pure, godly life, it will impact them deeply. I'm going to, t- there's a story here about uh, George Muller. So it's, it's a very interesting story. But George Muller told a, a wealthy, he talk, talks about a wealthy German whose wife was a devout believer. This man was a heavy drinker, spending late nights in the tavern. She would, spend this, she would send the servants to, to bed and stay awake up till her husband comes home. She would receive him kindly and never scold him or complain because, well, he you know, he's thinking alcohol, drunk. At times, she would even have to undress him and put him to bed. So one night in the tavern, he said to his cronies, that's his, his, his friends that you know, his, you know, he was drinking with, he says, I bet, I bet if we go to my house, my wife will be sitting up waiting for me. He said he knew what his wife, all the pain his wife was passing through. And he kept doing what he was doing because he was an unbeliever. She will come to the door, give us a royal welcome, and even make supper for us if I ask her. So they were skeptical at first, but decided to go along and see. Sure enough, she came to the door, just like he said, received them courteously and willingly agreed to make supper for them. Without the slightest trace of uh, resentment, after serving them, she went off to her room. 
as soon as she had left, one of the men began to condemn the husband. What kind of a man are you to treat such a good woman so miserably? The accuser got up without finishing his supper and left the house. Another did the same. Another till they had all departed without eating the meal. Within an hour, the husband became deeply convicted of his wickedness and especially of his heartless treatment of his wife. He went to his wife's room, asked her to pray for him, repented of his sins and surrendered to, to Christ. From that, from that time on, he became a devoted disciple of the Lord Jesus, one without a word. Praise the Lord. So it's not, it's not too much talking that can change a behavior. Some, of, some behaviors are being corrected by the way we behave. Even with children, sometimes it's not caning, 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 and then when you cane them, we try to discipline them, you are doing something wrong, the, the, the opposite thing. They want to see you and then emulate you. Praise the Lord. I'm going to finish this, because uh, my time is up. I'm going to finish this uh, next week, and then I, as soon as I finish it, I get into a um, um, train up um, our children in this uh, wicked world. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We give you all the praise. Thank you, Father, for giving us the gift of marriage. Because without marriage, we cannot build homes. We thank you for the way you continue, Lord, for, to guide us. Even sometimes we make mistakes. But because of your love, you redirect us. Father, help us, Lord in our marriage, in our homes. That we'll be able to make our homes for that to be the homes of children of God. That people will look at us and say, I want this kind of home. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this family month as we continue, Lord, Father, to talk about families. Guide us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.